Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana. I'm from the University of Oslo and I'm here with James Heathers from Cypher Skin. Let's, let's talk this new paper which came out and uh, the title of the paper is Citation Impact and Social Media Visibility of Great Barrington and John so- Snow Signatories for COVID-19 Strategy published by John Ioannidis who publishes, <laughs> what's, what's the figure, 100 papers a year or something or co-authors 100 papers a year, something like that. Okay, well, if he's written more than I've read, then, you know. <laughs> That's the case for most of us. <laughs> Look, so he, he's, um, he's, he's written this paper, and if, you, if you're not familiar with these two things, the, the Great Barrington de- Declaration is, in terms of COVID-19 strategy, is focused on this targeted protection of high, so-called high-risk individuals, um, and it's basically arguing that herd immunity is unavoidable uh, while the John Snow memorandum stresses that uh, aiming for herd, herd immunity through natural infection is unethical. Of course, there's a bit more nuance to both of these things, but these are two uh, strategies to dealing with COVID which have, have been out there. And this particular paper uh, written uh, by John Enidas was an analysis which tried to evaluate the um, this is, this is interesting the scientific impact and social media visibility of key signatories who have led both of these strategies. So essentially, what was done here was that uh, citation data was extracted. This stuff is is public. You can you can go find this stuff on Google Scholar or Web of Science or what have you. And then um, this was uh, this was linked ag- against their, their their social media presence. And um, yeah, and and of course, uh, here comes the the Kardashian index once again. The Kardashian index was used as a way to measure social media impact, and this is um, look, it was it was a joke. It was a joke when it was first invented. Not necessarily a joke, but it was more it was more satire, more to poke fun at how how stupid these metrics are. Where somebody with a high Kardashian in- index is somebody who has a, a high social media following but hasn't published as much. I think this is one of those things which is especially annoying because it it completely disadvantages other career researchers because we know the H index favors people who have been around for a longer time. It's 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 advantaged by time, and younger people, um, if they have good ideas and they're saying a lot of good stuff, uh, one one person that comes to mind is um, the the health nerd, um, down down in, down in Australia, down down in Wollongong, Gideon. Love me some, love me some health nerd. Um, has has some really sensible stuff to say on Twitter, and got got quite a following, and, and rightly so. Um, but because he is early in his career, doesn't necessarily have that um, that H index compared to, to more senior folks. And so somebody could go, oh, look, he's like pe- people like that have a have a high Kardashian index. Um, therefore, um, we we shouldn't listen to them again. How dare they be young and have opinions? It's, it's terrible. So yeah, that was the, that was the gist of the paper, and yeah, yeah. So it got it got a lot of flack. Firstly, because it used the Kardashian index seriously, and even the um the, the creator of the Kardashian <laughs> index, um, what's his what's his name, Neil Hall, um, he even even got amongst it, just going um, and he he said in a tweet, um, look, the reason this was created, it, it was a dig at metrics, not the Kardashians. It's like taking a quiz to see what character from Game of Thrones you are and finding out you're Joffrey Baratheon. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's not a real test. Look, it wasn't serious in the first place. So, yes, here we have this investigation of how seriously should we take someone's opinions um, when it comes to people who have large social media followings but not necessarily the citation metrics behind them. James, mm. thoughts? Well, I have a lot of thoughts, but honestly, this is a topic where I don't know how many of them really require being committed to audio. I mean, this is this is a deeply stupid idea for a paper. It 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 really is daft. You know, taking uh, if it's a Google Scholar metric, it's incredibly poorly defined to begin with. So it's it's comparing a poorly defined metric to a joke metric. <laughs> and using that to make a statement about the public positional contents of two competing bodies of evidence, uh, it, it shouldn't exist. It, it's totally unnecessary. And it's, you know, you just, I, I get this impression from, 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 from papers like this. And it's not, let's pretend it's just, uh, 
John out there saying mad shit about the plague. This the the the, the derangement of many people <laughs> who've never experienced any other media environment except the kind of dueling banjo series of increasingly abstract papers pointed at other people. There's been so many failures to understand how information is structured and communicated and how you can and can't argue about something and not appear to be completely loopy. So it's just gigantic strategic errors from a wide variety of people. I didn't like your characterization of these two these two different positional statements. Um, I don't know them in a granular way. People should also bear in mind this was quite a while ago. These aren't new beginning. these aren't new documents at all. This is almost a postmortem at this point in time. Um, because we've all collectively given up. In the age of the Cron, we I think we just prefer death now to the, <laughs> the inherent confusion of having to have a public health policy at all. Um and I'd say that surprises me, but I've met people before, so it doesn't. Um it, it's possible in some limited capacity that the Great Barrington Declaration wasn't completely potty to begin with. And it would be a different story if you got a disease, if it was like chickenpox, I feel like it would be a different story where you got it once and it's incredibly unlikely you'd ever get it again in your entire life ever, right? Now, I remember vaccine requirements from somewhere. I think it was when I came to the US a very long time ago, and I had to do a bunch of paperwork for the government. Um, and they, uh, there was a form, and it, it basically said, do you, have, you, have you had the vaccine or did you have chickenpox? And I had a very bad case of chickenpox as a kid. So it was always widely regarded as something that you got once. I don't know anyone who got it twice, and obviously many dozens of people in, in my primary school who had it. Um, this is before the vaccine was widely available. Yes, I'm that old. Shut up. I can hear you thinking. So if it was like that, then there would be some sort of credence, potentially, maybe. I mean, ignoring the ignoring the fact that, oh, look, we'll get, we'll, we'll get to that. But there was never any evidence that that was the case in the first place. That seems to me key. I'm sure there's a fucking thousand other points other people are screaming into a, a microphone right now. Someone on a train carriage <laughs> going, fuck you, James, you forgot something. I probably did. But that's that always seemed central to me, the fact that you could never really define just how this sort of novel immunity was ever going to work you know, in, a, in a novel disease, right? Could you get it again uh, three months later? <laughs> what if people did and died in my recollection? So yes. Um, and it seems like as the variants have uh, proceeded, it becomes easier to get reinfected. So, so, so that was bullshit. <laughs> Those bastards lied to me, like the meme, you know. Um, but the second part was there was this idea of focused protection, and I thought I, I remember reading this. I have a clear memory of reading this and thinking, well, that would be nice from a, a sort of a selfish perspective because uh, I'd be very worried about my parents at different points during the uh, the pandemicals. And I did wonder at the time, like the idea of them being focusedly protected, I don't know, maybe sent to a farm like an old sheepdog where there weren't other people. What exactly does that consist of? And I never heard a fucking peep, right? Exactly what does that consist of? Ah, no, there should be some protection and we should definitely focus it somehow. Okay, is there any more policy details? Where, how, who's paying? How's it gonna how's it how's it gonna work? Um, on what basis is that organized? Is it hospitals? Is it care homes? Is it palliative care? Is it regular people in the community? Is it assisted living facilities? Like what the fuck is that? And what happens to all the immunocompromised people? And what happens to all the fucking children who can't get vaccinated? And on and on and on and on and on it goes. And when you have dealt with the sort of complications of this, the whole thing feels just sort of unspeakably glib and stupid. Like they came up with something according to some preset agenda and then focused it in a way where it seemed reasonable. And 
I went past the sign like many months after it happened. I went right through in because it's in Massachusetts. I went past the sign in Great Barrington on the way somewhere, like road trip into a brewery or something, and I feel like getting out of the car and kicking the cocksucker over. Yeah, right. I get fucking adequate Barrington at best, pal. Clang. So I I have no particular love for the the fucking thing, but notice so far, Daniel, that I have said absolutely nothing about how much of the fucking Twitters is involved, and whether or not it's appropriate for people who are who are in different capacities to deliberately pursue a strategy of public engagement, which is completely unmoored to whether or not they do research in the first place. Maybe they have a job with the government and it's not their job to do research as pastors make the figures in the first place. Or maybe they have an advisory or a policy role that means they're not actually active within research anymore. Or maybe they work in an area where you only publish something once a year rather than 150 times a fucking second or whatever it is, a a publication (laughs) rate that's measured in moles. Um, <laughs> and this none none of this none of this needed to happen, but all all it left me with after having said all that, all it left me with was this very obvious I- idea that there are an enormous amount after all the work that we've done of making academics seem normal, making scientists seem normal. There are obviously people in the media environment right now who just don't understand fuck all. And and here we are. And of course everyone got everyone got very annoyed about it all over again and what what has it achieved? I I wish I had the kind of platform where I could do something willfully stupid and I wouldn't get sacked and everyone would pay attention, even if they were yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me feel this tremendous. You know, this, that be great? Americans Americans are, are often uh, are tied into knots with discussions of privilege. It's a thing. It's not a word I like to use. Um, well, it's something that I think about. It's not a word I like to use because it means different things to different people. And it's a, it, using words like that is a great way to piss everyone off. Um, but the one best inherent the thing, if you have the ability, if you have the clout, the influence, the ability to influence a process or a person or a policy or whatever, the ability to use it to do something useful and not a total fucking waste of time sort of is an emergent property of that. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. In the way that human vision was an eventual emergent property of fucking light-sensitive cells. And when I see people fucking it up, it really makes me, because there's an infinite amount of things that can be written. There's an infinite amount of shit that can be done. And when you have all that leverage and you choose to do that with it, why can't you do nothing or silence? (laughs) Why can't you do nothing or silence? You're, You're allowed to. Why did you choose to do that? And if we ask that as a question on a very fundamental level, I think the answer to a lot of people is basically as they get older, they just are increasingly wrinkled children and your balls get closer to the floor and your knees hurt. But at the end of the day, you're the same scared, weird infant that you were a million years ago and someone hurts your feelings, so you write a paper. Did you see? That's what you get for asking me my fucking opinion. (laughs) Oh, this this, this is going to get better. Did you see? Uh, this is one of those journals that publishes, as per, that that publishes typically the peer review reports. Oh, um, is it, no, I missed this. BMJ. Is a uh, BMC? No, BMJ. BMJ. Oh yes, yes. So yes this, the whole the whole uh, the whole group does it. I, I actually read a paper yes. about research, not about stupid bullshit. Um, that was on uh, the Barrow Reflex um, yesterday, and I go. read so, I read the reviews. The reviews were okay, not too not too good. Um, not too bad. BMC musculoskeletal disorders. Yeah, so this is part of the BMG family. Did you call it BMJ? BMJ. BMC, I get them confused sometimes. This is BMJ. This this particular paper was published in BMJ Open, and I believe the whole BMJ family publishes their peer review reports, um, which uh, I'm not sure if they're signed by default, but these particular ones. So what was interesting was that um, this paper came out and people were like, hang on a minute. 
This journal typically publishes their peer review reports. Where is the peer review, peer review report for this for this particular paper? It is missing. Uh, people got in contact with the with the editor. People kicked up a stink, rightly so. And uh, to their credit, they published the peer review reports very quickly, but <laughs> they were very, very, very short. And it was very funny that a lot of people were like, can you can you believe the quality of these peer review reports? Oh, Daniel, Daniel, funny. How many times have I said on this podcast that the least useful, the most facile contribution to scientific discourse is a short, empty, positive review? And that's exactly what, well, well, we had we had three reviews. One of them was short, but basically said, I don't think this is a useful contribution to the journal. I imagine the recommendation was, was a reject. And the other two were positive. And, you know, I opened up the thing and I, I, I kept scrolling going, where's the rest of the report? All three reports fit on a single page. Yeah. So, this is the sort of thing- I um I might get this sort of short positive peer review maybe like every like one in t- eight or one ten. In ten one in ten yeah one eight to ten I'll get this sort of oh. thing look it's nice but it's useless but it's nice but it's still quite useless but to have a paper where all three <laughs> no all you said three. you said two out of three okay yeah no but yeah two two out of three yeah three of them that they're all short. Um, one of them was negative, and two of them were were, were quite positive. Well, a short, and- a short. No, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's be reasonable here. A short negative review makes a lot more sense than a short positive review, because if you say this is irreparably stupid and absolutely nothing makes sense, or you can't add, or why are there crayon marks in the margin, or or something like that, it doesn't. You don't have to pull the whole thing to pieces. You can say this entire thing is very obviously misconceived. Like, what What do you want? You want me to write it out six or seven more times just so the thing is longer? No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, it's more, it is more useful. Well, it's, than a- it's usually, usually it's far more actionable because editors are frequently convinced by them, in my experience. I mean, I don't do peer not- reviews anymore because no one's paying me $450. <laughs> but obviously, I did many dozen of them. Um, often, uh, you know, with a particularly bad paper, you write something and, um, that was a lot of the time, if it was a terrible paper, um, a lot of the time if it was a terrible paper, it would, it would get that sort of treatment. Not, not in a gratuitous way. I'm not behaving in peer review the way I behave on this podcast. This is our podcast. It's their journal and someone else's allegedly hard work, <laughs> allegedly hard, allegedly work in the case of some of them. So, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not surprised. I think that happens all the time when you get someone who's of sufficient fancy. I think the Matthew effect in peer review is very substantial um, because there's so many. It's it's so easy to see walk-in papers where there's very obviously something missing, and it's sort of noticeably lower quality, and a fancy McFuck is attached to it. I've seen that many, many, many times. I think it would be very churlish to make a laundry list of all the shit papers and authors who were involved, but um, it's. I think that's absolutely a thing. Yeah? I had an interesting situation uh, a week or two ago where I was invited to, to, to peer review a paper, and I read the abstract, and I'm like, you okay, this is interesting. ask for money? You fucking quiz, <laughs> you quizzling. You this, fucking strike this breaker. Was, this was, a, this was a, society, a society joke. Oh, it's all right the, then. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the the abstract was interesting, and look, if if it was just based on the abstract, I would have accepted it. But for this particular journal, when you click on the you know, cl- cl- click on this button to accept, and then I actually had the opportunity to read the paper, and I read the paper, and I'm like, oh man, like this this is this is bad. Like just having 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 a flick through it, and I, I I actually decided to decline reviewing it because I was able to read the whole paper, and I thought to myself, oh, I, I just don't have the time to go through and offer suggestions for a paper which is really bad. And I was actually quite conflicted about this mm. because if it was just the abstract itself, like, uh, look, I-, I wonder whether the popularity of preprints has led to the decrease in the trouble actually finding people to review because people can easily see, because typically you can't actually see the entire paper. All you see is the abstract when you're invited to review. Mm. But 
if you want, and this is what I typically do, uh, I see a paper, I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's a preprint floating around. I can have a read and think, is this worth my while? I wonder if people are using this to read, they read the preprint and they go, oh, this this is a bit much. I thought this was a, a five-page paper. It's a bloody 30-page psychology paper with like a, like a 15-page introduction. I can't be dealing with this. I wonder whether preprints is actually limited and, and contributed to that. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but anyway, no, I was conflicted. I don't think a lot of people pay that sort of attention, and same by you, what I don't think most people do that. Um, but it's it's possible. The, the, the problem with devaluing the act of submission is I, I remember thinking this. I think I'd feel it much worse now if it was still pertinent to my life. Reviewing a paper that's obviously bad strongly gives you the impression that whatever diligence you put into the review will not be reflected in whatever happens to it after that. Yes, that's what I feel. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. Because, you know, people piss in my ear all the time about my cockamamie ideas about getting paid to do work. (laughs) You know, filthy little capitalist that I am now. Um, That's going to devalue the glorious environment of mutual assistance that we have now. Um, And that's one of the many examples that come to mind about why I think that's a bullshit argument and those people are generally high-handed twats. Um, I had a lot of arguments about this recently. Um, And they've come down to me, obviously there's some very good points against it whenever you say let's do this thing that's actually radical that actually i mean it is in 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 a sense a radical act to think about changing the review process so it's work rather than obligation but i mean plenty of people objected to that particular capacity you know i would still maintain that anything that you can just decide not to do without any consequences whatsoever forever is not technically work (laughs) Did you find any examples of people who have had peer review written to their contracts? Um, it's It can be listed as a condition. It can be listed as a condition where, you, where people say, well, if you're going to do this job and then I expect you to do all this stuff. So and, it's kind of and it's, with a broader it's, it's in there. It's in there in the uh, like the line item with, you know, seven or eight other things that are examples because the job description is designed to cover doctors and sociologists and high energy physicists and mathematicians but, and but people no, no, no one's getting sacked for not doing peer review well no one would know in general um obviously there's a there's a social expectation but the other thing i think this is a much better argument is the fact that uh if you have a tenure application that's formal and you're trying to justify the fact that you're a, a wonderful little wizard that does lots of the lovely reviews for people. Um, as much as that's not something that could actually be checked, unless you uh, created the record yourself, you made a Pablons profile, or you saved Pablons. copies of the reviews. Um, it is something that literally couldn't be checked, um, or th- th- at least no one would. I mean, Jesus Unless Christ! Like people, public. people are moving between institutions while they're under investigation for sexual harassment and assault at other universities, and then getting another job. You think anyone's checking to see whether or not you've done eighty-seven <laughs> so, fucking peer reviews? So crazy. Um, it's yeah, it's just it's just not within that world, and it's it's obviously also. I mean, if you went if you if you said yeah, look, I've got I've got all these uh, in the US like rolling R ones in Europe, I got big ERC grants. I got all this fucking cash coming in. I'm doing this, and uh, I've written uh, this couple of really high profile books and a ton of research papers. Oh, but you know, I've done an adequate or vaguely absent amount of peer review. I don't think there's a tenure committee in the world that would go, <gasps> "Wow, how could you? How could you, sir? You're a poor contributor to the community." I think some fucking dean would come over the top, like Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage. Uh, like, hey, there's $8.7 million in this cocksuckers. Don't you <laughs> get your fucking sticky, you get your sticky fingers off that peer review button. <laughs> the businesses, their business, their businesses, yeah. man. And one thing, look, while, while, we're, while we're on the topic and it's driving me crazy, um, 
Uh, there's two things in particular that have been pissing me off about all the arguments I've had to have about this recently. One is people who say, well, look, you haven't thought through the second order effects of what you're talking about. Like, I fucking have. That's far more my job than yours now. Shut the fuck like, up. Like, what, you're a, what, you're what sort of effects oh, are they, they're talking just, about? Well, you know, if, if the price changes here, then another price is going to change somewhere else in the ecosystem. Hmm. Did you think of that? Okay, Did you okay, think okay. that companies recoup costs? Did you think that they have a fucking P&L? Yes, I did. Please believe me that I know more about them than you do. What do you think would happen? Well, then after that, you get a fucking third order effect and you'd see, a, you'd see a different landscape starting to emerge. And people would have to invent a more prestigious version of a journal where they weren't fucking charging money for that. It would be continually moved along. And then you would, you would eventually see a sort of emergence of two parallel streams of something that's more in the community model, which we already have now. But if, if you take... If you take an open access, like not at a fancy journal, but a normative fee up to five or six thousand US dollars, no one's going to fucking pay. Is that normative now? So if you do, if you do that, Daniel, then there's going to there's going to be more journal flips. Um, There's going to be different communities that just go. You know what? We're fucking done with it. We all agree now that that journal over there that's reasonable is now the journal du jour. They'll simply have to. There's going to be too much fucking strain on the inputs into the system yeah it's going to become ossified it's going to be like the old person thing it really will that really will happen yeah so oh god he hasn't thought through the second order effects fucking embarrassing the other thing is like people say two things one this thing where you actually have the immediate control over your actions and it is capable of being done, and lots of people agree with you, this is impossible and, like, (laughs) borderline mental illness on your part, James. What we should do is completely reform the entire idea of scientific publishing from scratch. That's a much better solution, and I'm going to propose it. And I've said this in a variety of contexts. I really should write something really long and really caustic about it so I can get it out of my system. There's nothing I fucking hate more now than the word should, especially in the context of someone else's policy. Uh, prescriptions for literally the entirety of a global enterprise. You know, to me, anyone who says that we should just do this, why don't we just, it's all the fucking same. You sound like stoned 19 year olds in a college dorm who want to sell all their shit and go live in a van. You have absolutely (laughs) no idea the breadth and depth of what you're proposing. And you're using that literally as an argument why something else is undoable. Because you're just like, well, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have that doable but incredibly hard, vaguely quixotic, <laughs> pretty stupid thing in mind. Why don't we continually focus on the North Star of a violently different reality defined by me? Man, if that was possible, when people started to complain about all of the associated problems within this area 50 years ago, someone would have done something by now. Or you, or we would have done it in the same way the fucking physicists and mathematicians have, who managed to figure it out for some ungodly fucking reason. Right? Should. Fuck your should. Honestly. Pissing in my ear. It should. I'm not interested anymore. Pick a fucking lane. If you want to be a reformer, stop talking and fucking try something. Have a good idea. Put yourself behind it. Actually do something. Fucking empty, empty chat. This is, I mean, I, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a science thing or an academic thing or a fucking old people who've discovered the internet thing, but empty talk is... I, 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 part of part of this is uh, just you know the environment that I left to go into. You know, is it that you can't do this? You can't. No one gets to do this. You do realize in a commercial organization, like unless you're in a really really big company, the the VP of being a twat, no one gets to just say empty verbiage because someone will immediately make them responsible for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's about as much as I can credibly lose my temper today. I don't have a lot of energy. Look, 
we've got a we got a great listen, <laughs> a great uh, listener. Let's actually do in. a useful listener question because we got a good Let's, one. We got a good one. We got a good this one. This is from a friend of the show, Steve Haroz. I, I, g'day, Steve. I, I like what Steve does. Steve is a perceptual psychologist, and it's great. P- people have a lot of opinions about like data visualization, and they'll say stuff, and then Steve will go, "Well, here's the actual evidence behind what." what <laughs> he calls people out on on stuff that's incorrect. He's called me out a few times, which is good. Tells me I'm wrong, and I I, I appreciate well, that. Well, you're wrong a lot. Um, you're wrong a lot. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of a happy hunting ground for poor old Steve, (laughs) especially for data visualization. But yeah, Steve, uh, Steve does a lot of a lot of great things. Um, But he's he's submitted this uh, this great um, listener questions. I'm going to read it out verbatim. When a comment on an article is submitted, many journals have a policy that the original authors should review it and or write a response. The journal will even hold off on publishing the comment until the response can be published along with it. While I see some value in informing the original authors, these policies seem to give the original authors a lot of power in dragging out the process and having a final say. What do you think journal policies for reviewing comments should be? James Heathers. Um, well, I like this question for a number of reasons. Hi, Steve. Good question. Um, the first is I've been on both sides of this a lot, as you might imagine. Um if you commit to publishing it, then I'm unsure how that commitment should be uh, should be which should be taken by the by the journal. As in, should it be an editorial decision or should it be an editorial decision taken with a full picture that comes from people on the other side? Because if someone writes in and they're a crank or just some hammering twat from the internet with some fucking problem about some fucking thing. Um, The journal may want context before making a decision, right? But if it is a particularly good comment, which is illuminating something that everyone very definitely needs to know about the internal structure or function of a manuscript, then... The response from the authors a lot of the time is dissembling bullshit, lies, and distortions. And there is a line call that needs to be made with regards to like what the context is going to be there. Now, bear in mind that one of the primary things an editor does is to... Uh, Avoid having to make a difficult decision. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, this, um, that's very slightly unfair, but um, I mean, they have processes for a reason and they follow the process for a reason. The processes are always designed to produce as much time and as little friction as possible at someone else's expense, generally, right? Because it's not a, it's not a service. It's something that you have to suffer through. If you could offer a better service at a journal and have the journal be better, um, it would have 100% have arisen by now because there's many tens of thousands of journals and very few that have got um, any kind of, uh, like, it's in, as a service capacity, they're below government departments who also have absolutely no reason to change whatsoever because it costs money. It's the literal exact opposite of uh, SaaS businesses and fintech and uh, much of the sort of digital currency fiddle-faddle right now. Everyone's obsessed with making everything as easy and functional as possible while retaining as much quality as possible, right? Governments are not, and journals definitely aren't. So, still leaves us with the question of, what should we do before we make a decision? I don't have a good answer to that, but presumably there needs to be a policy that's not this is left up to the editor's discretion because a biased editor could fuck you over really, really, really bad. And part of the Has, collect- hasn't this happened to you previously? Of course, it's happened to me previously. Um, you write something that's uh, a, a, a comment on something that it's it's very obviously a mendacious piece of shit. And the authors have written back, and there's a lot of bluster and obfuscation and complaining. And then they they mention the fact that because you wrote it down elsewhere, suddenly because you've reproduced the opinion in this particular context. Um, if you write it down elsewhere and you send it to the journal, they'll criticize you for writing a preprint or a blog or putting it on social media or discussing it, right? But if you do that 
And a lot of people will turn up at that discussion and go, well, why don't you just write to the journal? <laughs> so, it's crazy. It's, it's a damned if you do, fucked if you don't. I mean, what does that amount to? So here's the thing that I think definitely should happen, though. Um, I think that waiting for the original authors, if what you're looking for is an opinion, it's not extra work. It's not a matter of like go and do these other experiments or go and do this complicated analysis. The vast majority of the time, it's represent your shit. Yeah? Sure. In text. There should just be a timeline to a publication. Right? So it's the 15th of February and Dan writes a paper and- I write a remark to that that says, I can't believe you used the Kardashian index in this paper, Daniel. What the fuck? <laughs> it's not supposed to be a serious <laughs> metric at all. And the journal looks at that and whether or not they ask you, if they choose to accept my comment on the 15th of February, they should tell the authors, we're publishing this on the 15th of March with or without your rebuttal. Okay. Because the... The foot dragging that can go on when it's a matter of like, we're only going to publish them when they're both together. And then the authors are just not going to get around to it. Six months, nine months, much longer. Yeah. A long time. Can go, and you can, editors can write to them multiple times. Hey, we still need that reply to the fucking thing. <laughs> um, no one's that busy. Oh, but I'm really, fuck you. No one's that busy. Right. Everyone's busy. No one's that busy. Timeline to publication. Either you're in or you're out. Make up your own mind. And I've had, fuck, I think I've, I think I had a, a, two situations that are relevant here to tell you about. One that's just primarily funny. Um, this one a while ago, I fucking can't remember which one this was, but the authors eventually declined to write a comment just because I strung the editor out for such a long fucking time. Eventually the comment went up. Um, which is a really good diffusion strategy, a really good obfuscation strategy if it's something that's relevant at the time, yeah? If it's something that's going to land like a bomb and it's going to be two weeks of frantic activity and you, you, you're going to be super famous and everyone's going to call you a special little fella uh, and it takes nine months to publish some kind of update or correction, the heat goes out of it to such an astonishing degree, yeah? It really defangs criticism to not be seen as something that's important and pertinent. Because the longer it goes on, the more you look like some kind of details-obsessed Martinet who is complaining about the fucking color of the font or something. Data fetishist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, re it genuinely- Accuracy fetishist. Accuracy fetishist, yes. That was oh, the one, yeah. Four decimal places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it very much contributes to that perception. Um, and I had an editor to just get the shits and publish something that we worked on without a response from the authors. They just went fucking quiet forever so this, and never read so back. So this was published as like a like a correspondence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the most recent one uh, I did with uh, with Grimes, um, the authors ah, the, yeah, yeah, the authors right. wrote a response to a matters arising that we wrote. <laughs> the journal declined to publish it because it was terrible. What? <laughs> I had actually heard of that before. Uh, Hang on. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I, I do remember you publishing this thing, but they declined. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> is is this like public record that they declined, or you just heard through the grapevine? <laughs> no, they told they told us because I mean it's directly related to our paper. I don't think that's a Jeez. secret. That's not a tale out of school. It's just something that happened. It's not a matter of let's maintain the privacy of the fucking thing. They're going to tell you because I mean obviously we'd ask. What happened to their response in the regular process would be curious, you know? You're not writing a response to the response to the response. It's just sort of like you want to you know what's going on. So, obviously, we would have asked. And um, apparently, they got it and they read it and they thought about it and they went, nah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I think so, there's, there's I, didn't, really I didn't read it, but it can't be very fucking good. Um, I think there's an interesting, um, there's interesting middle ground for, for for doing this, and this middle ground on, is actually go on, you toxic by, centrist. Go on, give us your middle ground. The, this middle ground is actually done by by BMJ, BMJ Open. Uh, if you on for their family of journals, they have this thing called rapid reviews, where anybody can write a response. 
this happened a lot with uh, there was quite a lot of these rapid reviews for the uh, for the Johnny Unitas paper that we that we were discussing at the start of the episode, mm. where people can go and they can write the commentary. I think there's a thousand word limit, so that's enough to sort of say your piece without without rambling. And essentially, it is up to the editor's discretion to decide whether they get published. Um, but it seems like it's a relatively low threshold. It basically is screening out, you know, completely loony stuff. But generally speaking, the editors seem to <laughs> the, the, the the editors seem to, to to accept most of the stuff. And um, in some circumstances, if the editor really likes it, then the author of the rapid review will actually get invited to convert this into a correspondence. But this is good. Because it's very prominent. Well, it's relatively prominent. When you see the paper, there's a tab that says that says rapid review, and people can actually go through and see that. And then the author of the original paper is notified, and they um, they, they can write the responses. And this is good because it it stops this uh, problem of the author having the final word. I think there's like a physiology. I remember reading a physiology paper ages ago that that was arguing, you know. The, the, the merits of using like low frequency HIV to measure sympathetic nervous system activity, and it, it went back and forth like like four different times. <laughs> but of course, the original author that was arguing for it got the final word. So in this particular context, yeah, um, there is a disadvantage for the people who are making the commentary because the author always gets the final word. But at least for this particular format of rapid reviews, then I think in principle it can sort of just keep going. If, if 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 people want to keep publishing, mm. so I like this I because think it I is. I think you're talking about a point counterpoint. Yes, point counterpoint that was yeah, from the. I love that. Uh, the Journal of Applied Physiology, maybe yes. the American Journal of Physiology. I can't remember one of the two. Um, yes, um, and in general, they were a. They were interesting because they were. A f- there was a series of four papers structured yeah. as a discussion. And it was quite collegial for, point, from memory. Counterpoint, rejoinder, rejoinder. And, well, I mean, they wouldn't pick a topic. See, here's the thing. Obviously, they asked people to contribute to a topic like that. They wouldn't pick a topic where there wasn't clearly two sides to be represented. You know, should all orphans be boiled? Point. No, uh-huh. Counterpoint. <laughs> There's, no, There's counterpoint. no reason to do that. It's incredibly unpleasant and awful. And why would you even bring it up? End of discussion. Not that. Not that. It's, you know, um, I think the best one of those I saw was on the, uh, it was about the local neural regulation of the heart. Okay. Um, There's still a great deal that's not understood about how the intrinsic cardiac nerves work. Um, And it was about that. And it was great. It was great because because uh, you could also get to the point when you do something like that, and there are clever people on both sides who obviously know the content, you can get to a point where they're proposing things to each other and you realize that there's very definitely strong pieces of evidence that don't fit together and you can see what the center of the the problem really is. And I, I really liked I really liked those. Um, I wish more journals did the format. It's really good. Well, when you start from a position of let's outline the controversy and people basically write what are sort of small competing reviews, I always found that was a better environment to figure out who was full of shit or not when they were marshalling evidence against each other. Because I mean, you could I, always I, you could you could always get a sense. I mean, like there's someone writes, someone else writes, and the first person writes, and it's all bluster and obfuscation, and uh, there's there's time spent on something that you think is marginally important at best, and they sound very haughty. And the second person <laughs> writes back and goes, "Oh, there's all this other shit I didn't put in, like this and this and this." And by the way, none of that makes any sense. You're like, "Yeah, none of that does make any sense." Oh fuck, I know who I believe now, because you get the kind of the not only the facts but the heuristics of the argument. Um, sorry, you didn't want to talk about these at all, did you? Um, no, no, no. This is this, this is this is good. But the the other format that this reminds me of is Brain and Behavioral Sciences. It's a, it's a journal where somebody proposes a target article where <laughs> so it's it's the cat third hurts his back. Um, Brain and Behavioral Sciences. Somebody proposes an idea, a concept, and once this gets accepted, then people are invited to write a response or a commentary. This can be anywhere from 10 to 20 to 30 people. They'll write a thousand-word commentary uh, for, this, for, for this grand idea. Um, mm. And then the original author gets to write a, a, a response. I, like, I really like this 
And I really wish more journals did this kind of thing. But look, I like this rapid reviews concept because these responses are attached to the original paper. Mm. PubPeer is great because there is no there is no moderation in that maybe what you think is a sensible comment for your for a sensible rapid review comment might be rejected for the by the editor for some reason. PubPeer, you can essentially say say what you want. And you can be anonymous. Uh, I think it's stupid to pretend that there is no such thing as repercussions within academia. So sometimes I could understand why you would want to post an anonymous pub beer comment. This is great. It gives you the flexibility to write whatever you want, um, except it's a little bit detached from the original paper. So there are pros and cons. You give me a very skeptical look, James. Yes, because those, those, those remarks are curated. It's not open slather. Yeah, but- yeah, yeah, I know it's not open sided, but I, not, I would they're say not as, they're, they're, they're not as curated. They are as substantially they're. less curated. Yes, they're not uncurated. Or I would post jokes about your forehead on all of your posts. <laughs> they would not be acceptable. There is there is some sort of moderation, yeah. but it's not to it's not to the degree of say these rapid reviews. So look, no, there are pros and cons. More, more more than that, I think if you if you, it's coming from a named account and you're trusted, I feel like the 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 leeway is a little bit higher. Sure. Sure. Um, which is as it should be, because fuck, I mean, let's just all get through the day here, you know. Yeah, so I do, I do like that format because I mean, it, it almost operates like an overlay journal in that you can use this format to do like some journals have a place where you can actually do comments at the end. I think Springer Nature, most of those journals, like you can actually comment on them. I haven't really seen people use it that much. Um, but PubPeer is good because you can apply this to, I think, I think any sort of document with a DOI, you can write a comment on and the authors will get notified. But the authors don't necessarily have, a, I believe, they don't really have a strong obligation to respond. Whereas if this was no. like a rapid review, if, if this was done at the journal level, then they have an opportunity to respond. So, look, I, I think there are, there are pros and cons to, to all these different things. But I have to say, though, I'm actually a little bit surprised by where you stand on this, I thought you'd be more on the side of um, that we should be a little bit, we should we should be publishing this stuff sort of more considering your experience with getting rejected with writing letters. No, but um, I also, Dan, I also have plenty of experience with um, people with mendacious fucks with access to grind writing to yeah. a variety of different sense. sources. Um, usually not me, but, you know, I get, I get, I get rolled up in things and I, I try to help people when time and sanity allows. So plenty of people get like attacked and editors get, I suppose, sort of, you know, rapid response bombed. They can get four or five from a group of angry, dickless cranks. And look through the rapid responses of this paper. They're actually really interesting. Well, I've read I've read I've 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 read some I've read some before. And I don't mind. I don't mind that format. But something that's going to go in as an official correspondence that's linked off the masthead. Yeah, there is. You obviously need to. Like I said, I'm. I am not sure if the original authors should be involved in the triage of whether or not that's accepted. I think it may, if you made me pick, I'd probably say no because generally I'm. You know, it should be sort of market-based or if it's an editor is supposed to reflect the nature of the journal it should probably be how they see it i mean if that's supposed to be what the definition of the fucking thing is then i guess that's appropriate but the other thing is of course man we have an awful lot of ways of communicating about something now um yeah, but they're not linked very closely to the journal no is this, Anyone- uh, this is this 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 is uh this is a really interesting this is a really interesting point about digital life in general. Where is the information on the basis of its relationship to an original piece of information? Where is it seen? Is it in the header? Is it in the sidebar? Is it in a separate page? Is it in a website? Where is the link? How is it marked? How are the links maintained over time? They're actually difficult questions. And um, we've had all sorts of fuss and retractions that are around this. Like sometimes there's, there's some journals that just put like retracted in the title of the paper, 
And I've seen retractions that don't link to their own retraction notices um, or that link to uh, editorial things only really as like something that's a citation. The the website hasn't been updated properly. Um, And retracted articles that are just left without being watermarked or similar. How we do this maintenance over time is really boring to talk about as a policy thing, but it, it affects a lot because the tiny, tiny little effects all the time trickling into little rivulets trickling into a great big stream of information. And how we choose to direct the tiny little pieces is always multiplied far, far more than we would care to bother with when it comes to just our circumstances and our rapid response and our popular comment and our paper. And that's just human nature. On that note, we're going to wrap up the episode. Thanks, Steve, for sending in this question. Uh, you can send in questions. Go to our website, everythinghurts.com. Well, and people do sometimes. But sometimes, obviously, they're, um, they're balls. So we, we don't use those ones. But generally, they're not. I think every good one, I can't think of a single time where – Jesus, Lucrish, I can't think of a single time where you've sent me one and said, this is good. And I haven't said, I think maybe once or twice, either we were already going to do it or it was just super boring. Still still a good question, just, you know, not of immediate interest. But I'd say over 95% of the time, ones that you sent to me. Um, I, I forward you all the, all, all the questions. With anyway. both green lit. Yeah. Did you really send me all the bad ones too? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. We, no, we don't get sort yeah, of, I mean, I'm trying, trying, no, I'm trying to think. No, we don't get ridiculous ones. Well, that's because we our, our, our listeners are better looking and more intelligent than other people, yeah. Dan. Obviously, absolutely. So, people send in your questions. Everythinghurts.com. You can also send in an audio question. You can record your question, and if you do that, we will play it on the show. So, there's mm. a link at the Everythinghurts.com where you can send in. An and we audio can continue question. to experience the great accents of the world. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. It's nice to hear uh, someone that isn't me for a change. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You fucking would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought about it. I'm like, James is like the, the, the most Aussie person I speak to regularly. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> well, yeah. There's a number of ways that question could be taken. and Very few of them yeah. are flattering to me. So, just close it, close it out and I'll yell at I'll, you offline. I'll, I'll close it out. Thanks, thanks for listening. Keep sending in your questions. Thanks, Steve, for your, for your listener question. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of Everything Hurts. See you later. Can we get a, can we get a perp from the third hertzy? No, we're not going to get anything except complaints, just like our regular episodes. <laughs>